Thanks for pressing play, swimmers and swammers. I'm today's host, Garrett McCaffrey. Our guest today is entering her 26th season as the Harvard women's head coach. Last season, they won their third Ivy League team championship in the last four years, and she's been named coach of the year for the Ivy League championships the last four years running. She's Stephanie Morawski, and this is the Swim Swam Podcast. nice to be here. Thank you for having me. So it's particularly early season for you and the rest of the Ivy League schools because you guys have a start date of October 1st. How how do you account for that in your season planning? Right. So it is interesting. And um, yet it seems to work out really well for us because we're allowed to start practices with the captains on the first day of classes. So that was August 31st for us. And we really use the month of September to come together as a team under the leadership of the captains and the rest of the season, the seniors to really be able to say, okay, who are we going to be this year? What do we want to achieve as a team? And how do we really try to forge that team chemistry early on in the season? And they do a great job. I mean, I have a lot of um, obviously very type A overachiever personalities on my team. So they, when the captains say, this is when we have practice, they show up. So what have you learned about your team here early in the season so far? I know that it, the training just started a couple of weeks ago, but for the month of September um, with them doing captain practices, where, where did they decide they want to go this season? What have you learned about the, the culture of the team so far? Well, I think we still have some unfinished business from back in 2020 when we had uh, two relays qualified for NCAAs with their A cuts. We had individuals qualified. And then, of course, there was no NCAAs. And our hope had been to be top 20 in the country. So we definitely want to get back um, and have that. Last year was let's just see what we can do uh, coming off of the pandemic year. The Ivy League did not have a season for 2020-2021. So we were at least in the conference all in the same situation. But this year, we definitely have big goals. Uh, We certainly want to repeat as Ivy champions. And more importantly, we also want to see where what we could do on the national level. So the interesting thing um, was when we had the, um, the, during the pandemic, we did have a number of our student athletes take a year off since we did not have a season, which um, now has us with a, a bottom heavy team. So more, um, certainly our biggest class is our sophomore class because we had some people take a year off and hold back. We had some individuals who couldn't start when they were supposed to start um, because they couldn't get visas internationally. So we have a very large um portion of the team as first years and sophomores. So that is interesting in its own right, um, because the leadership then really needs to step up and guide them. And even though the sophomores have been on campus for a year, sophomore year is just different. The the level of, you know, excitement is, um, is a little diminished in the sense that they know what to expect from college. But there's a whole new situation of it's time to think about what you want to pick for a major and 
the housing situation, they, they move into upper class and dorms and that's all fun. So I think with um, what we do for most of the month of September is we not only look after the first years and the sophomores, but we also really mentor the juniors and the seniors just on overall leadership and what they can do to help and what they need to do to help guide the team so that they can come together as one uh, to be able to get the really the outcome that they want at the end of the year. So it sounds like a lot of the culture building happens even before the official season starts. Now that training has become full time here, October 1st, you got to prioritize to get everything that you need in and essentially five months to qualify for NC2As, five and a half months until NC2As. What does your priority list for training look like right now? So usually as soon as October hits or even sometimes depending on when it hits uh, the week before, that's when we really start splitting into groups. So if we spend the first, say, three to four weeks um, really trying to build that aerobic base, make sure everyone gets what they need, um, prioritizing those individual meetings, um, coming together under the, the leadership on the team and understanding um, what, a, what really our process goals are. So it's a very big learning month. Now we move into October and it's okay. Now we're full on. This is when it's going to happen. And having that month of September, I know when teams programs don't have it um, and they just hit the, you know, the start button right from uh, the time they're on campus. um, It's hard to understand what can really be accomplished. But when you take the coaches in some ways and back us out of the mix a little bit, we get to do the work sort of behind the scenes and let the team really lead. There's a lot more that can happen and it sort of propels them into this, um, this next sort of stage of training. So when we are ready to go in the beginning of October, uh, they, there's no hesitation. There's no questioning, like all the, everything's been answered and we split up into groups and now we're, we're really training for, okay, we know what we want our outcome to be. And we start with that on the, on the big scale, like, okay, what do we really want to do, you know, as a team, take those team goals and then let's break it down into, um, individuals. What do we want those individual goals to look like? And then take it one step further. And I, I usually joke with them and say, I don't, you know, don't care about your times because honestly, early season, I care about what the process is. The times are the end result of a great race and they're a great indication of where you are. But if you're just trying to hit the times without doing what we want you to do correctly, whether that's, you know, eight kicks off your walls or not breathing, you know, flags in or whatever it might be, then we're going to have a hard time hitting that perfect race plan at the end of the year. So now it's thinking about what that race plan is for all of our individuals and putting together a program for them. Um, and, you know, we do have you know, a lot of um, training groups, but we also have a lot of uh, individuals that, that train uniquely between groups as well. And the focus is always, what can we do today to get ourselves 1% better for tomorrow and the next day and the next day. So incrementally it all adds up. And in that five and a half months, we are good to go. Can you go a little deeper in and and let us know what the group structure kind of looks like for you all? Sure. We certainly have the people who are sprinters. They do the 50, 
in a hundred free usually, and maybe a hundred of stroke. And those are kind of our pure sprinters. And we have our distance people who will do the mile. Um, and this is, I think the first year that the Ivy league is not doing the thousand. So they are, we're trying to adapt them to either a 200 free or 400 IM or a 200 of stroke. Um, but then you've got everyone in the middle and there are some people who squarely fit into certain training groups and there's others that just, they, that don't. And that could be based on their background, whether they break down, whether they really respond to the strength and conditioning work, whether, you know, we need to make some adjustments with them. So we split every practice is usually by either uh, sprint, middle distance, distance, or it's by stroke. And sometimes that's IM too. Um, we are fortunate that we have a indoor 50 meter pool. We do take advantage of that. And we are back to training with the men long course again on Monday mornings, which adds another element of fun to our training. How would you describe your coaching style? Oh, that's a good question. Um, we're very, um, we try to be very positive and very upbeat on pool deck all the time. Um, we recognize that, you know, and, and we try to share with our athletes that like, we're happy to be there and, we love coaching and we want them to come to the pool and it's got to be their happy place too. So they could have a tough day in the classroom. They could have a lot of stuff going on, but we want them to come down and think of it as a very fun and inviting place to be. And we look at it from a coaching standpoint, if we can bring our best selves every day as coaches, um, we're going to provide that environment where they can exceed um, their own expectations for the day and they will be able to, um, I guess in our opinion, just like have fun while they're training. And we have this philosophy on our team that if you're happy swimmer, you're a fast swimmer. So that's kind of our goal every day. Um, so when you see us coaching, we're very into the process of it. Like we're always giving feedback on, you know, what they're doing well, um, whether it's, you know, working on their head position or their rotation, um, you know, in some swimmers are, are very good at um, listening to that feedback and making those adjustments. Others need a little more work. We might have to pull them out of the water, show them them on video, make those adjustments, send them back in. But we always try to bring an element of like, you're, this is where we want to be. This is where we want you to be. And swimming is fun. And so, you know, we want them to be able to challenge themselves on a daily basis and yet finish practice and say, you know, that was that was really good. I worked really hard. Um, whether I was able to hold my pace times or not, I held my kicks, I held my breathing pattern, I held something. So you feel good about yourself. And incrementally, you've made yourself a better swimmer um, and one step closer to where you want to be at the end of the season. You're in your 26th season, which congratulations. I mean, such a huge accomplishment um, to, to be at a program for that long and to, and to you know have the success that you've had. How, how has your coaching style changed in those 26 years? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think you talk to any coach who's been coaching for a while, they're going to tell you that they've probably mellowed. I've definitely mellowed also. Um, I think, you know, back when you're, you're early in your coaching, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I was definitely, I would push them and I'd sometimes forget that it's, um, it is supposed to be fun you know, and it's, you know, they're here and I'm happy that they show up to practice and they give it their best. And 
I think very early on into my coaching, I realized that I wanted to make sure that this was a place where they, you know, I don't want them to be intimidated by the sets and the hard work that we're doing. So I needed to, in some ways, try to outsmart them and rephrase and reframe the hard work so that I could get out of them what I wanted to work-wise, but do it in a way where it, it sort of snuck up on them. And they're like, wow, that was a really fun set, even though can it was you, Can really you give hard. us an example of that? <laughs> sure, sure. Um, we, like, for example, this past Saturday, we wanted to race and we wanted to get in um, four races. And, you know, we're, again, as you said, we're early season, so October 1, so really second Saturday that we've been in. And we always try to do a, a team set. Um, the the only reality so- TV show that I actually like is Amazing Race. So we created a practice based on the Amazing Race, and we gave them uh, their clues. And, like, the first, well, I don't know if it's a clue, but it was an, uh, an obstacle or whatever that they had to do, detour. They had to divide themselves. We have 24 people at practice. They had to divide themselves into um, six teams of uh, four and do the 200 medley relay and every team had to be under 152 and we gave them three minutes to do it because that was the interval we kind of wanted these fast swims on and so of course they they didn't do it on the first try but they really worked hard on a 50 all out Uh, and then they they did get it on the second try so then they moved on the next thing they had to do was they had to divide themselves into hundreds and they there were goal times with it. So it was like, for example, four people had to do um, the hunter free with fins on, it had to be under 50 and the others had to be without fins um, under like 55 or something. We figured we'd get some of our distance swimmers in on that one. Uh, and it was fun and, and it was hard. It was really hard. Um, you know, and they missed it the first time around because not everyone was able to go under like 53 on a hundred fly with fins on, but when they realized what they needed to do and they made a few switches, they were able to do it on round two. And so giving them the time limit gave us um, what we needed as coaches. So it wasn't a free for all, but it gave them the flexibility to kind of move around. And honestly, everyone kind of was in their best strokes anyway to get it done. And they had a really fun time just racing. So we try to be creative um, in our in our practices, and there's sometimes it's a lot more straightforward where, you know, we want to get up and you know race hundreds or fifties or two hundreds in our best rope. Um, but there are also times where you know we will roll the die and say, okay, you know, uh, one is you know a fifty fray and a six is a you know two hundred fray or something like that. Like you've got a race, and then everyone does it um, because we you know everyone at Harvard is competitive. I mean that's kind of a given, right? But we, we joke that like not everyone is a competitor and we want everyone to be a competitor. And that means anytime, any race, just get up. And that's probably the biggest part of um, the difference in how I coach now versus before is that we're always focusing on the race. You know, like how do we get to that fate, that best race and how do we coach the race so that if we're flags in dead even with other teams in the Ivy League, how do we know that the Harvard person is going to touch the wall first? And that's what we practice a lot of is like how to start the races, how to finish the races, and the technique that you need to do to really ensure that you can get your hand on the wall first. That's great. 
Um, and I think you touched on a couple different points of the fact that everybody at Harvard is is competitive. And you said earlier in the interview that everybody um, is on your team is is type A and high achieving. Um, you've set the foundation for a healthy program with the, the joy of coming to practice and your joy for it and trying to give it um, give that happy place to your athletes. Um, but in this day and age, it, it's not always enough just to approach it that way. And especially with the type of athletes that you're working with, I feel like mental health would have to be a priority for you. How on top of the foundation that you talked about, you know, the, the joy of the sport and practice being the best part of the day, how are you accounting for mental health with your athletes? That's a really important question and I know I'm, I'm glad you're addressing it it's it's so important and that's probably the one of the biggest changes I've seen uh, and I can't say it's just pandemic related we definitely were seeing um, it had more concerns and more people come to our attention who are struggling um, pre-pandemic I think the one thing probably that the pandemic has done is mainstreamed it a little more so I think people are, are more likely to open up and talk about their struggles than they used to before. Uh, one of the things we've really tried to do on our team is create uh, a very open environment and, and a safe space for people to talk. Uh, we've also um, encouraged people who have sort of come through the other end to share their stories. A lot of times these are very private and it's certainly not something that we you know, would ever open up to anyone else. But on our team, our team is close and this is our safe space. And so within this group of women, if someone came through on the other end, whether it was depression or eating disorder or something else, and they're willing to um, talk about it, it becomes more um, like okay for people to understand that it is, you know, there is no such thing as normal that they can have those feelings and, and still be very clearly high functioning and that we can um, work with them to, um, to get, to get support. And Harvard does a very good job, I think, in providing that support. So for all of its students, you know, not just the student athletes, but there are um, specifically uh, two um, sports, well, says sports psychologists, but they really deal with everything um, designed to the athletic department. And so they come and they talk to our team. Um, they hold or have a team session in two weeks from now. Um, but we're very hands-on. I mean, that's probably one of the things that we're, that um, my associate head coach, Amanda, who's been with us for 10 years and I um, really work with. And I think the women know and it gets passed down year to year that we're very open and we're very understanding and your mental health and well-being is way more important than how fast you are in the pool. Um, you know, that you can't sacrifice that just to swim fast. So we do try to work with in our athletic department with the resources we have and with the individuals directly to provide as much support as we can, because if they're happy and they're healthy, that's when they'll perform at their best. And so it's in our best interest to continue to work with them, uh, not just for a swimming you know, perspective, but just for life. It, it's, you know, I, we really care about these individuals. I think you're describing a really healthy culture where a lot of it is 
Um, the relationships between the athletes, you know, that starts in September with those captain led practices. And obviously that allows for that space for conversations. You talked about uh, the sports psychologist who's coming in in two weeks. Are there other spaces within your, your planning that you can create the space for those conversations to happen? Cause it is one thing to like, um, to allow those conversations to happen within the athletes. But like you're saying, if somebody can share with the team, they've come through the other side and it's okay to not be okay. And to like, talk about it. Can you, can you plan for creating that space or is it just kind of, uh, a, uh, like a natural, um, situation where you recognize somebody's struggling and you try to talk to them after practice or something, I guess I'm just wondering if there's anything coaches can take that can, um, that they can use on a regular basis to kind of plan for giving the athletes that space to talk about it. Yeah. So there's um, certainly just two main questions that I'm taking from what you asked there. And the first is on the individual. Sorry. (laughs) That's okay. It's all good. Um, On the individual. So yes, there are things that organically just sort of happen. Like someone's having a bad day, I guess on from our coaching staff, we don't, just we always try to touch base with all of them every day and i don't mean that's a formal thing but you know we do a few things um making sure we're making eye contact with all of them like i might have you know the middle distance on on a day amanda may have the distance and our volunteer coach jordy who's a former captain of ours may have the sprinters and we make sure that within the groups that we are all making eye contact with everyone in our group and and really getting a sense of how they are at the end of practices. And this is pretty typical. We always break it down, but then as coaches, you know, especially on the big days, um, we also just, you know, give them a little high five. Like we sort of stand there and just, you know, high five them as they walk by. And it's a good opportunity again, to make eye contact and see how someone's doing. If we ever notice that someone's a little off, um, we don't ever not say something. So, you know, whether it's in the beginning of practice, whether someone looks like they're struggling in the middle of practice at the end, we'll call them out and, you know, just casually, we never want to embarrass anyone, just ask them how they're doing. And we never want to hear the word, I'm fine, (laughs) and have them jump back in. Um, If we're asking you, and this is what we tell them, then it seems like it's, there's something that made us ask you. There's something we're reading into your body language or your facial expressions. And a lot of times it's just, I've just had a long day. I'm really tired. You know, I had a, I have a midterm right now. We're in the middle of midterm season. So there's a lot of exhaustion and I I'm good. I just need to get through this. But every once in a while, someone will say, I'm just finding myself very anxious right now. And I'm, I'm starting to spin. And those are things that we take very seriously. And, you know, and we just ask them, what do you need right now in this moment? So that's on the individual. Um, we do have, I'll take it one step further, say we have what we call leadership council, which is our juniors and our seniors on our team that we meet with monthly. And we do have committees within our teams. We do have a wellness committee. And those are individuals that, you know, they take care of the, um, the signups for the massages um, the nutrition, uh, we, we put a lot on our team, uh, partly because we're an Ivy league school, so we don't have, you know, a thousand grad assistants or assistants around helping, but also because I think that when you have individuals feel like they're contributing to your team more than just based on swimming and diving, that they're, they're there's bigger buy-in. 
So, you know, these individuals, you know, we'll reach out to them and say, hey, so-and-so seems to be struggling a little bit. Can you just see if you could grab her after practice? So it's not just us as coaches. We do ask the team for their support uh, and sometimes like specific individuals in general. Um, to your other question is like, what happens and can you plan for it? So we reserve every Friday from 2.30 to 3.30 for meetings. And a few years ago, probably five years ago, maybe less, I don't know, <laughs> it blurs together at this point, 26 years, um, I was having some early season meetings with people and they had some really unique summer experiences. And I thought, wow, they've learned so much about themselves having gone through these experiences. Why don't they share it with the team? Like, instead of just sharing it with me, why wouldn't we just share it with the team? So we ended up with something that's called speaker series, where an individual totally on their own can talk about a situation. And it could be something as much as like I was in a different country and culturally I was totally out of my element. And this is what I noticed. And this is how I, I came back from my summer internship, like a better, more thoughtful, more inquisitive, more empathetic person to, you know, I struggled with an eating disorder and this is where I am now. So we've had all different types of talks and it's not like it's every Friday or every other Friday, but when someone feels like they have something they'd like to share, we do make sure that there is a time and that they can be heard because usually that message, even if it's just one person on the team, um, it's important. And in two, no, I guess in a week and a half on October 22nd, our team is doing um, a walk. It's called Out of the Dark for um, awareness for suicide and prevention because that is something real. It does hit different teams. And we've had some people on our team over the years struggle with, you know, very dark feelings. And so we want to make sure that we are there and as a team um, that we're doing something that is meaningful. It comes together as a team, but it's also letting the people on our team know who might have had some of suicidal feelings in, you know, in the past that we, we are here to support them and we would like to help. It's very easy to understand um, the appeal of your program, hearing you talk about that kind of support. And it's, I think that was an amazing answer. I think a lot of coaches can take great stuff away from it. Um, and hopefully people who are listening who are possible recruits can hear that too. I kind of want to talk about recruiting a little bit because it's a unique situation um, in that, you know, you, you have very high academic standards, obviously it is one of the, it is probably the most competitive school, uh, in the world to get into, um, you don't have athletic scholarships and those type of excuses could be enough for some people to just kind of say, okay, you know, I guess we'll just have to deal with, you know, uh, what we can get, but, um, you know, I, your, your whole program, has success. You've had people at NC2As throughout your career. Every year since 2015, you've sent some ladies to NC2As, which is remarkable considering it's the most competitive meet in the world. Um, so it has to start with recruiting because you got to get you know some talented people in there to be able to, to even have a chance to get into NC2As. Um, what kind of obstacles would you describe as far as when it comes to recruiting? What are what are some of the hard parts for you? Um, I, I know that it's an appealing place to be, but what are some of the obstacles um, that you deal with when you're going after, I mean, some of the top recruits in the country? Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Well, I think the biggest obstacle, of course, is is money. And I think that, you know, as as a parent myself, I can tell you that, um, you know, if my child was offered support from Harvard or support from a scholarship school that was given money, it would be tough. It would be tough. Um, so I, I totally understand when recruits say financially, I, I can't do it. Like, I, I get it. Um, so we try to do two things. First is we have a very good net price calculator. Um, and I think that that's something that's very important to us is to, and I know it comes across and it can come across as very direct, like the Harvard coach is asking me to do this, but it's in their best interest. Like it's not a matter of, um, you know, do we want them or not? It's really, it, do, are their parents in a position to either receive some very good financial aid from Harvard because our financial aid is very substantial or is it no, we're in that very gray area and we can't. Um, and, and that's the hardest group of people, right? It's because there are people who can pay for anything out there and that's awesome. And we have a large percentage of people on our team who have financial aid because Harvard's financial aid is so good. But that group in the middle is the group we struggle with and we'd rather have them know early then really go down far with us, come on a trip and everything, and then find out that they would love to come to Harvard, but then it can't happen. So we do try to deal with that in the beginning. But then the second part of it is uh, we do try to distinguish ourselves from the, um, the rest of the, uh, I guess, scholarship schools out there by talking about, you know, who we are and we are Harvard and, you know, you are accepted to Harvard first and foremost as a student and then as an athlete. It's, we always say, like, if you define yourself as more than just a swimmer, then please take a look at us. You know, we have a lot of very interesting um, individuals on our team who could have gone to different schools, but they love our philosophy and they love the fact that, you know, we're going to support them. I think that's probably one of the biggest pieces of feedback that they have is that the coaching staff, our coaching staff is going to support them with whatever their interests are, not just helping them attain their swim goals. But it's helping them attain their academic and, you know, some of their personal goals, some of their, you know, job goals. Um, that is really important uh, because what matters and what I love the most is when women come back to us, you know, five years out and say, hey, coach, like, you know, some of the skills and the life lessons I learned at Harvard, um, you know, I'm carrying into my my next job, my next, you know, graduate school, med school, you know, I'm I'm now who knows what it might be. And so, you know, it really makes us feel good. And we've had um, two women in the class of 2020 and 2021 Forbes top 30 under 30. We've had two women, one class of 2014 and one class of 2015. Um, pretty, you know, exceptional um, women. Sorry, my battery is running really low. <laughs> um, so pretty exceptional women. And and they did it. And they did it at Harvard while winning an Ivy League championship, qualifying for NCAs and, you know, being the best they can be. And that's something that um, goes back to when I swam. And I I did swim for Harvard. And so when I was going through looking for different schools, you know, it was, where do I, where do I really want to go? And I, um, I landed in the Ivy league. Um, and I had coming out of high school, you know, I, I, 
I was certainly not nearly as successful as a lot of my peers, but I did have nationals. I did qualify for Olympic trials in 88. Um, but really what I was, what mattered to me was that I chose a school where I was the happiest. And I did have someone at some point say, oh, well, do you think you could have swum faster if you went somewhere else? And the answer is no, because I think every individual lands at a school that is right for them. And for us at Harvard, uh, it's what I want to give back. I want to make sure that, you know, I had a wonderful four years at Harvard and I never set out to be the Harvard swimming and diving coach at all. I have my degree in economics, <laughs> um, but I came back to the sport after a few years because something was missing in my life. And I realized that I had such an amazing four years at Harvard and the educational piece of being able to give back to these athletes. Yes, we do it through swimming. Um, that is the vehicle by which we help them become and empower these women to become the best, you know, I don't know, like students, athletes, um, individuals they could possibly be before they go out into the real world. And so I want to make sure that when we're recruiting, we're also giving that message is that if you want to be at Harvard, we're going to support you to the highest level you will want to attain um, athletically but you get to do it in an environment where you get the Harvard education as well. Are there any situations where you kind of find somebody talking about, um, you know, wanting to make the national team versus some people who say, Hey, I want to have an internship in the off season and go pursue this, you know, uh, research project that I'm sure a lot of your, your athletes get, um, as, as kind of opportunities, if you have a recruit who already knows this coming in, I mean, how do you handle each of those opposing situations when you talk to them about their opportunities? Right. So, I mean, coaching is not a one size fits all. So we work with the individuals, you know, so if someone says, you know, I would like to go do this Spanish immersion program in Madrid, well, guess what? There's pools in Madrid. So we will help you find a spot to swim. If someone wants to stay and train, um, they're welcome to. If they want to go swim for another, you know, go train somewhere else in California and get out of Boston for the summer, happy to help them find, you know, whatever they would like to do where, you know, my ego is not that big. I, I'm all for the athlete. I want them to be the best. And if they want to have a different experience over the summer, that's great. Um, internships are a real thing. And we have a lot, especially junior year internships. If you get yourself a very good junior year internship, it can be challenging to swim over the summer, but we always try to work with them to say, okay, what can you do? And that's always our, our motto. What can you do? Don't tell me what you can't do. What can you do? Can you go to a spin class? Can you swim, you know, three days a week? What can you do? And it, it works out well because usually they come back um, for their senior year and they've already got a job offer. So I think all of our seniors already are good to go, um, which is nice. And then the, um, you know, it's their last season. So, you know, for them, um, you know, they, they did, hopefully, um, they look pretty good right now, but most of them did what they needed to do over the summer to, they're not behind. We always say, don't be behind where you were at the end of our season in, you know, March or the end of the school year. Um, if they may, didn't get ahead, at least they're not behind. So that's, that's something that we have to work with. It's real. Not everyone does that. We definitely have had individuals who swim 
hardcore and do their summer internships um, because they've told their companies from the start, swimming is really important to me. So I want to swim. I'm going to nationals this summer. It really depends on the individual and we're willing to work with all of them. And that's what we tell them in the recruiting process. But off-season training has to be a priority with such a short season, even if you're counting from September 1. I mean, that's only six months. There's a whole nother half a year. Um, And for ladies to continue to improve and and do the things that they obviously are doing so successfully in your program, you have to, as a coach, like do something right to let them know that the other six months are where a lot of the improvement can happen as well, right? Yes, absolutely. I mean, the season is, you know, it's year round. So the internships over the summer are usually um, the most time consuming because those were what they travel for. And that's about 10 weeks. But the rest of the time, they swim. You know, they're expected to swim, um, whether it's on campus or it's at home, they're expected to swim. And again, I've got some very high achieving individuals. So getting them to the pool is usually not an issue. They do what is expected of them and they know. And, you know, if, if they don't get to the pool, then our team isn't going to be the best it can be. And it takes all those individuals working together towards the same goals. We really emphasize that. I do take some of the stress off of them and tell them that they don't necessarily need to compete over the summer. Um, that tends to make the training a lot easier because then they can just train at a very high level without having to worry about, you know, the taper, the anxiety of trying to take time off of work to get out to nationals. Um, some will still go to nationals, but for others, um, it, it's kind of a relief to just say, okay, coach just expects me to train really hard all summer. And so we do focus on that. Um, and they do a lot more out of the water work over the, in the off season as well. Um, Olympic trial years are always different, uh, this year in particular, we've told people, we don't want you to wait until 2024 to try to, you know, qualify. So this summer is going to be a big summer for some of our individuals. I know we're kind of stretching our time here and, and your battery life on your phone. So if we get cut off, uh, I'm sorry, we'll hopefully pick it up at another point. But I just got a couple more questions. I kind of want to shift it to you. You alluded to the fact that you were a Harvard swimmer. Um, and I guess I just want to know, uh, as somebody who was an All-American and did the things that you're asking your ladies to do today, um, what made you great in the water? What were some of the things that uh, helped you become um, such a high achiever in the water at Olympic trials, like you said, in 88, um, and an all American, um, at, at Harvard, what were you great at as a swimmer? Um, balancing everything. <laughs> I think that's the biggest thing for success at Harvard is you just have to be very good with your time management, you know, because you, you know, obviously we're still working hard, um, morning practices. Uh, You know, I used to not take classes before 11. I, that sounds worse than it is, but, uh, I prioritize my naps. So I would get a nap in and then I was more effective for the classes in the afternoon or the middle of the day, I should say before, you know, practice in the afternoon, but time management, being able to balance it all. That's a big one. Being able to manage your unstructured time because there's a lot of unstructured time at least at harvard and so you know if you've got a class that meets monday wednesday sometimes friday you might not have a problem set that's due until the following monday not waiting till sunday night to do it is key so that's one of the things that we really stress with all of our student athletes is making sure you're ahead of your work um or at least on it and and not waiting to the last minute but 
use that downtime, try to find those blocks of time, but also figure out what works for you. Um, there are some individuals that, you know, just don't nap. They don't like naps. Um, I can't understand that, but they, they do. So, you know, letting them after morning practice say, okay, if you don't have class at 1030, don't waste from 830 to 1030, get your breakfast and get work done so that you can get to bed, you know, earlier at night. So, we're really working with them. And again, that's team mentoring. We have a lot of individuals that will sit and work with them and figure out that time management for what works best for them um, to put those blocks of time together. But, you know, like we've got some very strong student athletes and I can't say that anything that I did was magical. I mean, you work hard and then, you know, you just, you use your, the rest of the time that you have to get the rest of the stuff done. And, the recovery, a lot of it takes a place away from the pool. That's something we also stress now. Like, don't come and just expect an easy practice. You know, we only have a certain amount of time. So every practice counts. So, you know, get yourself on the massage table. Make sure you get your sleep. Make sure you have good nutrition. Those things um, really do matter. Has that been able to translate into your adult life with the family and, you know, being there for all your athletes and being there for your family and finding that balance? Have you been able to um, reasonably find that as an adult as well? Wow. I feel like that's the biggest question you've left for last. Um, yes. Yes. Um, I like to think that sometimes I, I, I let me, let me rephrase this. Since the pandemic, I think I've really taken a step back in some of my extra things that I did. Um, my team's really important to me. I have two girls, teenagers. That's really important to me. And I think sometimes we get caught up in the extra stuff that's out there. And I've really taken a step back to say, my family's important. The well-being of my own kids and my team is more important than perhaps running a summer, a summer camp. <laughs> so for me, I've, um, I constantly, um, I'm human too. I'm constantly trying to improve myself and make trade-offs where I can. Um, but I think I've, I've had more clarity in the past um, two to three years, I think. So always striving to be better. <laughs> in that balance of what is, Steph time look like when you do get the chance and I'm not saying you do it as often as you'd like, but if you can, what do you do for your own joy? What do you do for your own self-care? Um, what does Steph time look like? <laughs> wow. Uh, so probably a combination of things. I love reading. Um, so that's, that's still the Harvard part of me. So I love picking up a good book and reading. Um, but I also, uh, I go kickboxing. <laughs> it's quite therapeutic. <laughs> So it's a combination of exercise and therapy all at once. That's awesome. <laughs> awesome. Stephanie, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I think uh, people can learn a lot about the program and about you. And it sounds like another year in front of you that's going to be successful and kind of just continuing to build off all the success that you've had throughout your 26 season. So best of luck here in the new season. And thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Garrett. I appreciate it. You've been listening to the Swim Swam podcast. Stay tuned for new episodes every week. You can take Swim Swam podcasts on the go by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. Look for links in the description below and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more videos as well.